Welcome to episode of the first episode of our new show. It is the Orange Nomad, Andrew Moon, and my trusted partner in crime today, Mr. Pete Matheson. How are you all doing today? Looks like we've got some live guests joining us. So we've got, let me go back and make, so Matt Stolba is calling in from Dallas, Texas today. So welcome, Matt. We appreciate that. And Jeremy, let me know, Jeremy Bryan, whether or not you're tuning in from Belfast, Maine or Belfast, Ireland. Because I actually lived in Belfast, Maine, and it is completely different from Belfast, Ireland. So, welcome, welcome, welcome. So, yeah, we got another another one joining us today. Uh, Trenton uh, Schutler, hopefully I pronounced that correct. Awesome. Into, he loves the intro tunes. So, start of the day in Northern California. So, there's your nice intro music. So, nice, nice little upbeat to start our day. So... Pete, how's it going today? He's at the end of his day, so how's your day going so far? It's going really well. I've just seen Billy's comment say I need to invest in better sunblocker. I've um, <laughs> I've spent the last like, hey, it's like thirty degrees in the UK here, which never ever happens. Are you not outside enjoying the sun? <laughs> nice. So that's why this I've got like all the shades. Week. So this week is basically where I build up my tan that that lasts me the rest of the year. So I've got to try and do the best I can. And if getting burnt and, and getting like really tanned is, is yeah, <laughs> I'm doing my best. Awesome. So anyway, so you're probably, we've probably got a lot of people wondering what happened to behind the geeks. And so Pete, you want to tell everybody what happened and the transition and just why we're kind of going in a different direction. That way everybody oh, knows we, since, we, since you've got a little bit a of the history. Opportunity. We did. We yeah. could have titled the show like, um, confronting the, the reason why Nigel left or like something like that. <laughs> we can still really clickbait. We can still clickbait <laughs> this. So we, we do have the recording. So welcome, yeah, Robert so there, Gibbons. There isn't really a, um, a Robert Gibbons. And there isn't really a, like a, 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 we didn't fall out. There's no issues at all. Basically what happened is the times changed. And um, with the time changes, I don't know if you, if you guys know, but trying to schedule somebody in the UK and Aussie and New Zealand, which are completely opposite ends of the world and on completely opposite time time kind of zones, it, it was just impossible. The shows were falling in line with Nigel's um, like kids' um, food time, which, which isn't really on. And he was doing it for like two or three months, I think, still, um, whilst his kids were downstairs eating and you know getting ready for bed or what have you. So we decided just to um, separate that and just, you know, th there's no point... Nigel being there, we've got kind of there was two or three Brits on the show with with Richard Tubbs being there as well. He's just sitting out for a few weeks, um, but we'll be back soon, we hope. And so you basically left with me, Andrew, and um, and Scott, who is currently on a flight somewhere. He did say that he was going to try and jump in through uh, the, the Wi-Fi that was on the flight, but. Uh, I, Scott, I was only joking. If you're watching this back on the replay, I, I do not expect you to be sat next to somebody on a flight and uh, and live streaming at the same time. Like, just just chill out and uh, enjoy the flight. Enjoy the like however long the flight is. I was so wondering how that was going to go. Flight. I was like, okay, we'll have our first live stream from an airplane. That would be epic. So, <laughs> but see, really test how good the Wi-Fi is on the, on on board. I think it would. Uh, it, uh, I think we just, you know, pipe the, our intro music out to the plane too, let everybody just chill. So, uh, but I know it, we were just talking before the show started. Uh, Scott's been the only one to see Top Gun so far. So, since you're on a plane, Scott, 
And if you're watching this replay, if you happen to be listening to this, this is for you. Just a little Top Gun music there. That's probably all we're going to play before we get kicked off the air. So thank you, Kenny Loggins, taking me back in time. So, (laughs) But anybody else have seen Top Gun, put that in the comments too. I want to see what your thoughts of Top Gun were. I haven't seen it yet. Wanting to go see it. I saw the original in movie theaters. So yes, I timestamped my age right there. So... (laughs) I'm waiting to see. It. I've I've obviously saw the original. I have not seen the uh, the new one. I've heard very very good things about it. So uh, hoping hoping to see that soon. Things is like cinemas over here are so expensive. I don't know if it's the same over there. The, the tickets were super expensive, and if you, you know, my god, if you buy a drink or food, like thirty, forty, fifty pounds, like straight away for like a couple of people to go out and see a film. So I'm kind of getting to the stage now where I'm just like, ah, just just wait. It will be in the like in the live streaming services sometime soon, or or accessible another way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I miss that movie theater experience, but I'm with you. It's like, by the time you drive over there, I mean, I don't want to, what gas prices have hit for, for you over there, but they're ridiculous mm. here. So, um, it's two, almost two pounds uh, per liter that we do it over here. And honestly, I don't really know because where I drive an electric car, I kind of thankfully avoid a lot of this stuff. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. It would be nice. I, I, I wanted to get my name on the Ford Lightning list, but that is a two-year wait list. But I think I'm going to add wow, my, okay. yeah. But I want to add my name to that because I was like, I can, it's a generator. I can run, I can power my whole house for three days from my truck. Wow. So <laughs> that would be dope. So That's awesome. Anyway, so... Let's just go through any comments here. This is, we figured since this is our first episode, we get that out in the, out in the air, what happened with the show, why we're changing all that good fun stuff. So no, none of us have parted ways from Nigel. We still love, I just figured I'd wear all the orange in a different manner instead of my hair. So, um, I think I, I, I've talked, I've joked with him about getting a tech tribe hat and putting the orange hair. Cause they actually make those here <laughs> in the States where you can actually, it's a hat, but it comes with hair too. So, yeah, isn't that that's is that like a Scottish thing? I the whole like hair stick out. I don't know. I don't know where he where he you know why he decided to go from the 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 shaved head look to uh, <laughs> the. It must be the surfing environment. It must be you know. Two I was going to say it's the surf. It's the surfer in him. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But we figured we would do and ask us anything episode here um just if you've got questions about running an msp if you've got mark sales marketing operations whatever it is uh for those of you tuning in live you get to ask those questions live from pete and i um so let's see here we've got a few more comments coming things i was going to um kick off with andrew if that was right just to um fill in some space whilst we're um seeing who is around I um, I had a couple of messages, one yesterday, one the day before, from, and this is going back now to two or three shows ago. I think you guys were talking about live streaming, about videos, um, and just kind of getting started with, with using videos in your MSP. And one of my coaching clients, if I find the, find the chat, and this is going to be in my newsletter uh, that I put out every, every month. Oh, where did it go? Um, basically, he, he has had like three clients off of his, uh, oh, here we go. Uh, no, that's the wrong person. I'm I'm looking for completely wrong messages here. No, we basically had a client who um here we go. 
don't know what happened in my on my poor neglected YouTube channel, but in I've got four paying new customers through it. And this is a guy that has a YouTube channel that has not that many subscribers. So for those people that are kind of thinking about you know, starting doing video and um, you're worried that you haven't got 10,000, 50,000, like 100,000, whatever it is, subscribers, you don't need that many subscribers. You just need as many who are actually interested in your services, like 10 people subscribe to you who are actually interested in what you do is better than a hundred that don't care anything about you or what you do. Um, yep. So that was the first one that came through. Uh, and my response to that was, we'll do some more YouTube videos then because it's obviously working. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, and another guy, um, Jez, who started doing videos this week, he's, he's like seven days in and he's already had a lead into a 30 person company uh, for IT support. And that's just doing like, <laughs> he sent me the message because um, he was he was doing he was shooting TikTok videos and I think he's repurposing you know we download them from TikTok and it's got the branding on it yeah and repurposes them on uh, on LinkedIn and uh, he he was telling me about it and I was like please God don't don't tell me it was TikTok that got you the leads <laughs> I mean it's it's great but that that would be incredible but it was a TikTok he'd taken from TikTok and then put onto LinkedIn and it was via LinkedIn uh, that he got the lead but um but yeah seven days first seven days of doing video. And I already see like the engagement, all of his posts is so much higher because people are commenting. They're like, oh, this guy's doing video. Wow. And it's just, it's so much more like attractive, engaging, interesting, and, and just breaks through that kind of everything else that's going on um, with like LinkedIn. There's so many like people posting about how amazing they are, about how fast they've grown. Um, it's just nice to see a, just a down to earth, regular video, like someone just literally holding up a phone, speaking to camera. So yeah, ma massive congratulations to uh, to those two guys um, for, yeah. for we get, doing we, YouTube, doing video, and, and seeing the you know reaping the reaping the rewards. We get to get him the applause button. Hey, nice job. And it's it, that is an interesting dynamic with video, and it's that, that that I have seen myself, and that people that trust factor because there's a huge gap. There's a huge trust gap between when somebody first figure, you know, figures out they need IT services to actually picking some. So we've got to, we've got to bridge that gap somehow. And I think video is the easiest way to do it because when I look you straight in the eye right here, I feel like I know you when we have those conversations and, and, and that is the beautiful thing with it. And, Closing. Can't wait to meet you. It's gonna be really awkward when we first meet. <laughs> I think so too. It's like you know, it, it, it so many people that I've met in the last couple of years doing these live streams that I have never met in person. I mean, you and you were the first person that I interviewed on my show, and you and I have never met in real life. Um, so yeah, it is going to be totally weird uh, when people. I think it. We've get, we're gonna, I think you'll be let down. So. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, well, I'm very much an introvert. Even if we're in the same room, I'll probably just hang around the edge and won't really like walk up to anybody or talk to anybody. That's kind of me too. And it's funny because it's like when you go to IT conferences and stuff, that's, I mean, it 90% of the the traffic is, we're all introverts. And if it, if it were up to us, everybody would be standing around the middle of the walls. Nobody would be talking to each other. So, mm -hmm. but no, Which is that... weird though, because everyone thinks because you're doing videos that you're more of an extrovert because you're like putting yourself out there and doing all these silly things. But I've been asked a few times to talk at various events, you know, it, like real, real live people events. Yep. And it, it scares the shit out of me because I'm going to have to actually stand in front of people and talk. It's something I want to do. I want to get better at it. And the only way to get better at it is to do it. But um, yeah, it's yeah, really scary. <laughs> yeah, I, I miss it. And I think 
that was one of the things that I did as an MSP that I think has helped me behind video. I, I will tell you, it is much easier to do video because um, I've done three public speaking engagements in the last month and a half. And the first one after two years, yeah, it was, I was, a, I did, my wife tells me I did okay, but yeah, I was a nervous wreck because I'm like, okay, that's completely different than looking at a teleprompter, having my notes right there and trying to read off my notes off an iPad to a live crowd, uh, completely different. So let's see, we got a LinkedIn user. Let's see who that is. James Kemp. Welcome, James. Uh, he's from your neck of the woods. I think your privacy settings, there's actually, you, you and I are showing up as a third level connection and I know we're first level connections, James. So that is weird. Anyway, glitch in the matrix. We'll blame it on a glitch in the matrix. So, uh, Alex Harvey said, yes, uh, nice work, Jez. Um, but yeah, so I think that that is a perfect example of it. So, uh, do you have Jez's, uh, LinkedIn or YouTube channel that people could check out? We can pop that in the comments. Uh, I'm, I'm going to find it. I'm just going to, um, let me just ask if he's right. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we're gonna gonna him if I could throw, throw some shade on him. So I'm just sending him a WhatsApp. I'll let you know in a few minutes. <laughs> All right, cool. So let's see here. Uh, James said, comment I heard the other day. Uh, oh, you have legs, not just a bobbing head. So somebody saw him in real life. <laughs> a bobblehead. That would be a good. That would be an interesting one. Get my own bobblehead with orange, orange that, headphones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we always used to have that at some like staff events with the MSP. Like everyone's used to. Obviously, we, we wore. We weren't too bad. We wore normal normal clothes uh, in the office, and then when we went out to customer sites or if clients came in, then we wear uniform. But the client, the the MSP I was working at beforehand was just uniform. So whenever you like have a staff event, it's like oh, it's, it's weird seeing you wear clothes. It just sounds really <laughs> wrong, but. <laughs> You don't see them wearing normal clothes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it, it's just funny. Like now, you know, I always dressed up when we did the events. I didn't do the full suit and tie deal, but yeah, I'm with, I'm kind of with you. We had a dress code, um, which is funny because that actually lends to a question that came up for me this week from uh, one of my coaching clients. And I, I saw that in a couple forums is, do you enforce a dress code for on-site techs? Why or why not? Like, what would your recommendation go since you yeah that was a perfect segue to that question so yeah um the, the way i like doing it is that yeah definitely in inside your own offices i don't care what people wear i whatever makes them comfortable particularly on days like this like some some places you go and like you're not not allowed to wear shorts like no we're, we're grown-ups like wear shorts um in terms of on client sites i think that's a bit different because you kind of want to um, you know, certainly from my perspective, like building this brand and growing, growing this business, it, you need to have a certain level of expectations. However, I don't think it's worth going all of the way where you're like suited and booted, like shirt and tie, because we all know you're crawling around desks, you're in server rooms, the number of trousers, like posh trousers I ripped over my life of just getting them caught and snagged on cables or something. So, um, so yeah, just, just something that's, I guess, smart casual would say, um, it's probably what it should be. But um, just with a like a, a open buttons kind of branded shirt, whether it's a um, whether it's a polo shirt, whether it's like a button up shirt, again, I don't really care. Just something with a logo on, uh, and again, something that's that's comfortable for people to wear. Because I think it's, and of course, if you're having like you know, company photos, it's great to have everyone wearing the kind of same kind of uniform. Yep, looks great. But equally, 
when kind of behind closed doors, so to speak, when people are just working um, back at their desks, I don't care. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Rob Ellis puts it really well. Dress for your day. If you're going out and seeing clients, then of course, yeah, absolutely put something a bit smarter on. But uh, most of the time, um, I, I, technically, we don't know if Andrew's wearing any trousers. I could be completely like naked below here, but don't make me stand for the up. Occasion, <laughs> like no, I'm busting in the shorts and t-shirt for short. No, I'm with you. It's for me, it's, it, that is our brand presence. And whether you like it or not, people are making a judgment about your brand, which is your company. Um, so that for me was important. We were 100% remote anyway. So for the most part, I like, I don't care, you know, what you were, you know, we're doing tickets at home. Uh, but yeah, if, if we had to send you on site, orange shirt, and whether that was a, we had polos with our logo on it and, I'm with you. We had black tactical pants just because of that issue. Yeah, you're going to be crawling around. I wanted something that could hold up to the wear and tears. But yeah, black tac. It was it was a it was a awesome look too because when you walk in, you know, I mean, it was just people knew. Um, just the it was, though, isn't it? Surely. <laughs> it was. I mean, it was, what was weird and really emphasized the fact of brand on me is when I, when I sold my MSP. I stayed on for six months while we integrated everything together. And when I went back into my largest attorney client for the first time, wearing a different shirt, different color, different logo, uh, yeah. that was the first thing people said when I walked in the door, <laughs> they were like, you need to go do redo all of their marketing. Cause they're like, we're, we don't like this. <laughs> and they were like, we love the orange shirts. We knew when, you know, we knew when you guys were in the building and it was great because everybody knew. And, you know, we did get, we got clients in that same building because yeah, they saw, saw the guy in the, the guys in the orange shirt and black tactical pants come in. They knew we were, we were getting ready to do some work. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, th I think it is strictly for the branding. And again, it's, it's hard because we don't want to, you know, it, you know, be driving people to do certain things, you know, against their will. But I think, you know, from that aspect, it, it does, it makes a huge difference. So. I, I'm... I think certainly when we, when we took to our, you know, took our staff on, the fact that you already say to them, look, you know, when you're in the office, I don't really care what you wear, yep. as long as you're well presented when you're going out to see clients and you've got a branded shirt and you explain that up front. I, I've never, ever had an issue with that because if anything, they're more appreciative that you can wear whatever you want, you know, most of the time, unless you're, unless you're seeing clients. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, that's certainly the way I'd go to. Yeah. yeah, and we reimbursed for it. Like, I didn't, I didn't expect, you know, them to go pay for a nice polo shirt and... I wanted to at least, I was like, okay, here, order your size, order your shirt, have it delivered oh, yeah. to you. We yeah. paid for it. Um, Cause that was the other debate is who pays for it. And oh, if okay. you make them pay for it, like I would be, that would make me mad if I was a tech and somebody enforced a dress code when I go on site yeah. and then made and me pay for it. Well. You've got your MSP logo on them as well. Yep. Yeah. And it yeah, was so great. I would never, I don't know if it's different over here in, in the UK, but I, I would never, ever say you need to wear a uniform and now you need to go and pay for it that that just wouldn't fly at all ever yeah i would i spent some time in the car business over here you know it is a weird industry uh, but i worked for one guy and that was you know they sold all the high-end european brands you know porsche ferrari mm -hmm. maserati and that was the thing you had to wear khaki pants and a white button-up shirt with his logo on it but we had to yeah. pay for it and i was like you got to be kidding me and their shirts were, you know, Land's End shirts that was the only had one place we could order them from. And they were like 65 bucks a shirt. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. 
was like my my whole first paycheck went to buying shirts because yeah, you go out in a ninety five degree heat, like that shirt's not going to last yeah. very long. So anyway, I mean, I think that's a good point. Well, you know, questions. We got loads of questions in the, uh, on the exactly. Channel. I've got those favorited, so that's a nice thing with ecam. I can actually favorite them and go back to them. Uh, I was the thing I liked much better than restream. So let's go ahead and start firing on the question. We answered that first one about wearing having a, some sort of dress code when people are on site uh this one here we'll go ahead and add this into the broadcast from job tech he's a one-man msp working out of my house how would you prioritize hiring your first employee or getting office space personally i would say avoid getting office space as much as you can because that's just extra overhead costs that you just don't need certainly when you're starting up um, yep. I remember ripping out the back end of my living room when we first started up uh, so I could squeeze three desks into the back of my living room. And I had like I had a drum kit, I had a piano, I had this whole like music thing that was going on in my living room, ripped it all out to make space because it's that versus committing hundreds, if not thousands to rent, taxes, insurance, like all the things that add up, um, utilities, broadband, like everything else starts adding up as soon as you start doing this. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd firstly stay away from, um, you know, getting office space, particularly more days nowadays with, with you know, the kind of rise of remote working. And in terms of the first hire, I think my response to that normally is it depends, A, what you're passionate about and what you want to be doing, and B, what's taking up the most of your time. So if you love doing the technical engineering stuff, there is no reason. Actually, I had a... Um, not in disagreement with uh, Tom Lawrence. Uh, I think <laughs> I posted on LinkedIn basically saying that it, it, there's one type of person to be a good engineer, but you need to turn around at some point and let that go and find another good engineer to replace you so you can then be a good business owner. And Tom's basic response was, what if you want to be, you know, what if you're happy being a good engineer and you're just not a good business owner? Because he, what he's done is he's brought someone in to run the company and let him sat there and still doing, obviously doing the YouTube videos, but being an engineer at, at heart. So you find what you're good at and what you enjoy doing. And then bring someone in to do the bit that's taking up too much time, doing the stuff you don't like doing. It can be completely different depending on who you are and what you like doing. That there is no like, oh, your first hire is going to be an engineer. Then it's going to be an account manager or you know whatever it might be. Um, yep. I think the 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 only kind of and we mentioned it. I'm sure we mentioned it last week or the week before. The only exception to that is I would probably go out and get a bookkeeper as one of my first kind of outsourced roles just to get the account stuff off your kind of shoulders sending invoices, chasing invoices, uh, reconciling payments, doing all your tax stuff within your accountancy system. Get rid of that as soon as you're paying, certainly in this country, between 20 to 25 pounds an hour for that. And only really you need maybe an hour or two of that a week just to stay on top of everything. So just yeah. get that off your off your shoulders. And then again, it frees your time up to then go and do the rest of the stuff. Um, yeah. What do you think, Andrew? I, I agree with you there. I mean, because for me, like I got to a point where like once we started doing sales and marketing stuff and I actually started to get it, I really enjoyed that part of things. And I, you know, I, I liked the technical work I could do, but I knew there were people way smarter than me and were way more into it than me. But my first hire was actually an admin. I hired an admin to take care of the little stuff so that I could concentrate on running the business. And then we got to the point where, okay, my second hire was actually a virtual help desk person. So he handled, you know, those first level support calls and, you know, we trained him and he became great. And it was awesome because 
I found him through a friend of mine and he was actually working the night shift front desk at a hotel. So he was awesome at customer service. He tinkered on the side, had his own, you know, gaming rig and stuff. So he liked the tech, but he was really into customer service. And that's the part that I couldn't teach. Um, and he, he ended up being a phenomenal hire and end up running the help desk. And that's, you know, I trained him all the way through that. Um, so yeah, it differs for everybody, but that was for me, that was my first hire, do the admin. That way I can, they can take care of setting up processes and systems, you know, initially setting up our SOP system. Um, and then I move forward to the, the technical role. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, the bookkeeping, I'm with you. You can automate so much. Like I didn't have a bookkeeper. I mean, I did, I sent my, our books to somebody at the end of the year to do the taxes. That was it. But for me, everything else was automated from ConnectWise into QuickBooks. I mean, I had everything so systematized that it wasn't much for me to take, you know, half hour at the, you know, reconcile the books at the end of the week. That's literally all it took me. Um, but no, that is a great question. And it is a dilemma that a lot of nimble MSPs have is they get to that point where your workload outstrips your ability to do it all yourself. Um, and usually I, I found that the hardest range income range was your, when your MRRs around 200 to $250,000 a year. Um, because you get to that the hardest, uh, hardest to hire or what do you say there? Sorry. It's the hardest because you're, you're at that point where you don't really have enough money to pay yourself well and go out and hire somebody that can actually take that technical role over and just uh, handle so that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the entry level help desk guys, you know, that's not too much. I started my guy part-time. I worked him a few days a week and then he bloomed into full-time. Um, but he was hundred yeah. percent remote. Um, but yeah, the admin, I think and that's why you, um, and certainly the way I, I've kind of gone with my, my journey and what I recommend to anyone I speak to essentially is just try and nail down those mon the monthly contracts because by growing the monthly contracts that does then give you the income to then pay for that as the next person, you know, you're getting X amount of money in every month, you know, full well, whether you can afford to pay X amount out for the member of staff. The only thing I would say is just make sure I've just taken on a full-time um, like actual employee here. Uh, and again, just remember that it's not just the the salary you're covering. You're also covering all the other additional like taxes, pensions and everything that adds up on top to like an extra, like an extra 10 or 15% in terms of like, their salary that you have to pay out. So those kind of things caught me a bit off guard again, having forgotten about them for a, t a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, um, that is the thing that people forget about. There is, it's not just a $35,000 a year, you know, tech that you're hiring or an admin, you know, it's more like 50. I mean, if you, if you really round it up and that's what I kind of used, um, I'm trying to think of what was, what, um, his name just left me, but kind of the benchmark that at least for the, when I was at my business 10 years ago, the benchmark where we would make any decision on hiring was at the 250,000 increments. Like when you go from 250 to 500, when you hit 500, you're, you've got the, the payroll basically to be able to bring somebody else on full time. And again, if, so if you want to, it's, it may be higher than that now. I don't know. Uh, but that was my benchmark. I knew that how do we get more out of the people that we hired to get to that next benchmark? And the next benchmark is 500, 750, and then a million. Uh, but yeah, once you hit the million, yeah, once you get in that 750 to a million, that that opens up a whole different can of worms about 
you know, management and all that good stuff. So, but no, great question. I'm going to scroll down because we're going to start with some of the older questions uh, that folks have asked a little earlier. So this is Scott uh, Lynam. He said, what's your advice about getting into video? I don't know if it's because what we do today, we feel just normal, but I'd like to start getting some video content together. I've seen Jazz's videos and short, simple, short and simple and do the job. So what would be your, maybe your recommendation to somebody to get started? I would ask the question back to you because I think your video journey started later than mine. Um, so, and, and yours has obviously gone down a different road to mine as well. Yep. Um, which I actually see a lot more value in nowadays. So yeah, I'd, I'd ask a question back to you and just see what's what approach did you take and what's worked and what's not worked for you. And I guess the, the key question of how quickly did it work, which I'm sure is the one that everyone's wanting to know. I think now with the tools that we have now that weren't there, I started my live streaming journey on April 1st, April Fool's Day, 2020, two weeks after the pandemic. So I'm like, you couldn't have got a, you know, a worse time to really start something new. But I, I started it. I was like, I just want to figure out how to do this. So one, it was a challenge for me to figure it out, gave me something to do. But the tools that we have make this so much easier. Like I, it was harder to try to figure things out and it was harder to get the tools to work together and talk together. But yeah, I think you and I, when we first did our first interview together, I think I had an iPhone clamped to my monitor in front of me and I was using my iPhone camera as my webcam. And I figured Which things is out. now an Apple feature that they sell on <laughs> it's like they've actually developed it now. <laughs> that was hilarious when I saw that too. I like the top down. Like I, I like yeah, being in cool. so anyway, I, we could digress uh, on a whole <laughs> But my whole point of getting into video was I just wanted to tell my story of what I went through as an entrepreneur during the last downturn in the economy, uh, which for me, the biggest one was 2008. I had a four-year-old child at home with a four-year-old MSP. Yeah, I started my business the year my son was born. But that's all I wanted to do was provide structure and just get a conversation going with people online. I really wasn't expecting anything to come of it. Um, but it was amazing what did come of it. One, I got better at using the tools. I didn't try to figure everything out all in the, in the beginning. Um, but now you have very simple things like restream, like restream. You could go live, do everything that I was doing nuts and putting a bunch of things together now quite simply. Um, but I went live with that intent that that's all I was going to do is just get on there and, you know, make my own. That's the beautiful thing with it is you can do whatever you want on there. Mm. But it, but it resonated that that time of entrepreneurs, like everything shut down. People lost half of their revenue in 48 hours. And I just wanted to have a conversation about, you know, how do we support each other and, it has blossomed into a worldwide community and it, it's phenomenal. You and I met because of my live streams and Scott and I met through my live streams and it's just an interesting thing. There's two different ways with video. And I think you had touched on that. I do more of the live stream like we're doing right now. Pete is awesome at the, you know, recorded content and, you know, structure storytelling that way. Um, You've kind of done both. What would you say the advantages for 
live streams versus recorded and recorded versus live streams? What would you say? Maybe the one I or two advantages. And you mentioned it already. I think the key thing is community. I think when you're doing live streams, you are basically constantly looking for engagement to build uh, the following, to get people commenting, and that's really having that discussion back and forth. Whereas with the videos, it's more of a one-way approach. You're just kind of putting the videos out there and you, you just let them sit there and do whatever they're doing with the algorithm, whether they can get picked up and viewed. But um, there, there's, I guess there's there's good things to both and good reasons for doing both. Um, I, I think specific to Scott's question about like getting started, yeah. and I said this exact same thing to Jez, uh, it's just, I don't care what you do when you first start doing video because the first like, the first six to 12 months won't matter. The main thing is that you're doing the video. So whether you're doing, you know, shorts, whether, I mean, whether Jez is doing TikToks for God's sake, like whether you, if you can do TikToks and just hold a phone up and say something about IT or something related that your clients will find I mean, a passion in as well, then, then that's great. And yeah, that's a very, um, I say it's a lower, lower barrier to entry because there's less, um, like less, less production quality because you haven't got all this like stuff that you have to worry about. Yep. The fact that you just get comfortable on video is the thing that will get you over that bump that then starts doing video. And it's kind of the way that, you know, I I fell into my journey of, okay, well, now I'm doing that. Let's look at doing it a bit better now. And like, now I'm going to start scripting my videos. Now I've got lights and sound and like, it, it just progresses. And the way I always approach it is that just, just fire off the lap, uh, fire off the, the video. Now I'm going to focus on making the next one better than the last one. Yep. Sometimes that meant investing in, in some, some more gear. Sometimes it was just better storytelling, better topics, better thumbnails, better titles, like all those kind of things. But the fact that someone can pick up a phone and literally just record himself and, um, you know, land some clients or, or land some prospects a week later just shows how powerful video can be. And it's one of those things that like, I was listening to a podcast this morning. It is such a powerful thing, such a powerful thing. And, um, and I've talked about it so many times, but literally 99% of people will not do it. Yeah. And that is the reason why you should be doing it. It's, it's such a horrible thing to do video. Like I hate my face. I hate my voice. I hate everything about me, but literally 99% of people will not do it. So why not be in that 1%? Just why did not push through the barrier of, I hate myself to making the videos and you will instantly like elevate yourself above the rest of the noise. Um, yep. I, seen it happen time and time again when people start doing video on linkedin they get engagement people start commenting they're like oh it's so nice to see you've you've got a real face you're not just like this text thing that appears on linkedin they they get to know your personality they get to learn a little bit about you because in each little one you'll just share even if you're not sharing like like personal things in their life they just get to see your personality from like the way you speak and there are certain things you know just just body language those kind of things that come across in video so um, if that's not my sales pitch at why you should do video, uh, I, don't, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully that helps, Scott. I mean, I, that's wh whatever you're comfortable with. Like for me, I obsess too much. That's why I'll be honest with you. That's why I don't do more recorded content because when, I've, when, I, you know, when I know in my mind I've got more than one take, I'll try to make it perfect and then I don't get anything out. And I think that that for me was allowed me to kick that barrier down doing live streams because I knew you've only got one take, this thing's live. And I didn't obsess over the necessarily the quality in the beginning. You know, I went live with a Blue Yeti microphone and a C920 uh, webcam, which I elevated to my phone, just clipping, you know, that on using it as a webcam. 
So whatever you're, you're more comfortable with. And that was, that's the thing with live stream too, is people have a lower expectation of it's live. They know things are going to go wrong and it's not going to be perfect. And that, I think that's the thing that makes it unique is it's more raw and people, I think what to touch on your point, Pete, is that's what endears people to you faster when they see, you know, this isn't necessarily a polished scripted video. And, and when we did testimonials, when I ran my MSP, the ones that were raw, me just getting out my phone and having somebody tell me what they just told me and getting it on video, those did better than the ones where we spent $5,000 making a, you know, a host of polished, ready to, you know, testimonials. And it's funny because I had people tell me that they actually believe the ones that are more raw than they do the polished ones. I don't know why. And it's just human nature. And, uh, and I had attorneys tell me that they're like, just for some reason, when you, when it's raw and you're just recording somebody's reaction to something, whether it's, you know, live or recorded, people trust that. And I think that was that the biggest, like, fallacy i i constantly see i, I want to get into video i've got like five grand what do i do and the only thing they will do is spend that five grand on one big video that's like an about us or some some big marketing thing that's going to go on the home page yep don't 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 like, just don't do that just take that five grand or whatever you know thousand whatever it is you can do so much with that by making lots more micro content regular pieces you know spend a grand a month and that's five months worth of video content you can hire a video editor you can do a marketing apprentice you can, you can do so much more than just give that five grand to somebody else to make something that looks like makes you feel very good because it will of course you're spending five grand on something it's right. going to make the company look very good but it's one piece of content it's going to be out of date really really quickly the, you know your, your staff members are going to change the environment's going to change your offices you might move offices everything changes. So why not spend that same amount of money on some smaller little bits, you know, buy a better camera with, you know, 500 pounds of that. And you've still got four and a half grand left Buy a microphone, but there's just so much more. And I see it time and time again. And it's such a difficult um, sell, I guess, so to speak. So when, when I was running um, the continuity video marketing, when we were speaking to MSPs, they are only interested in I've got five grand, I'm going to spend it on one video. And you try and explain to them that actually you get much, much better results by doing regular kind of drip fed, smaller things. They, yep. they just don't understand it. And I see the exact same things even today in my, my kind of job now of like this YouTube channel when talking to brands and they're like, we've got a budget. We want to do a, a video with you. Okay. They want to do one video and they yep. have all their expectations set as that video is going to, you know, sell, sell my product. It, it doesn't actually what does sell product is smaller mentions drip fed in amongst other videos and you know kind of they, they call them integrations so like a 30 second ad essentially that you add into other videos that same amount of money spread across those videos performs so much better so it's just it's, it's a complete false fallacy like don't take money and do video by just spending it all on one video it won't perform you'll, you'll feel good about yourself and you'll think it's done doing well um and your, your clients will say oh yeah watch your video it's a great video but it won't actually do anything the yeah. smaller content will work much better and it'll be probably a downside cheaper as well. Yeah. And that, this Scott and I talked about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about live streaming and it, it took me a year doing these live streams almost every week before I realized that, Hey, I can, I can actually slice these up into smaller videos. 
I'm like, why don't I do that? So like last June, I started doing that. I would take, say, an hour-long webinar that you, you're doing or an hour web live stream talking about anything. I was like, how many two-minute videos, how many 30-second videos can you make out of that one piece of content, out of that one effort? And it's, it, I was like, okay. Then it started dawning on me. I'm like, I can do so many things with this. So I started doing that. We do a live stream, you know, on Wednesday. And then Thursday and Friday, I would go about slicing up those videos and then hand it off to an editor and to finish up and make small clips that I could then put on LinkedIn. I could then put on my YouTube channel now as YouTube shorts. It's the same video. And it only took me one effort. So like if you all, all you did was one of those a month, one, one hour live stream. And I wanted to, I'm going to, I can't wait to talk to Scott next week. Cause I think he's got a two hour live stream planned for Thursday, but oh, he's yeah. excited about that because he's like, I can, I'm going to be able to make so much micro content out of this that leads back to the original. And I'm like, that's exactly what you want. It, that way you're not recreating the wheel every single month. And yeah. I've actually had my social channels on autopilot since December and it is all my content. I have not reposted pretty much anything from anyone else. And it's all that micro content from my podcast. Cause I started doing the same thing with my podcast and I started doing the same thing with all of our live streams, going back into some of those older ones, slicing those up into smaller bits. And now I have an asset library of 200 plus videos off of work that I've already done. And that's 200 and some videos that or in social posts that I can just keep churning out there month after yeah. month. Cause not everybody's going to see it the first time out. And that's the mm. thing with the live streams. Nobody, a few people will turn up live, but I get so many of the people will watch that six months from now and message me from, because I keep these up on my YouTube channel and it's awesome. Um, but yeah, Scott said he's just, he is a thinking I'm worried about it being perfect and polished, but just cranking on it and giving some value and getting in front of our ideal client and get her name out there. So yes, that's exactly what you want. I'm a yeah, recovering the, the perfectionist. Thing is one thing that holds a lot of people back, but honestly, there is no quick and easy answer for it is you just need to kind of when you're running a business, like you kind of have to assume that not everything's going to be perfect. Just yep. do it move on and again just i always say like post a video focus on the next video keep doing that for like however long and if you really still think that first video sucked then go all the way back to that first video and just remake it again like six months later because you'll have learned by going through that process you won't learn if you never post that first video because you'll get stuck on the first video yep. so yeah just uh yeah get over the perfectionism and just just get on with things basically yeah so I know that's a, a bit of a silly thing just like just stop being silly just just post the video <laughs> james kemp said the same thing on linkedin he said i bought a thousand dollar worth of video kit because i was thinking i had to be pro but actually just got started with just my iphone because i don't have to edit i just shoot and post bam that is what you want yo 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 yo, yo. Pop, pop. that's what you want don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. All right, let's go back oh, to I need some to of these. Back out again. I need to add some sound effects. <laughs> I'm having so much fun. I can't wait to get the new Roadcaster Pro too. That's on my my next purchase list. But anyway, maybe we can do a our, well, a future live stream about that. We can just geek out on what we can do with the Roadcaster. So, all right, so we got a couple more in here. Um, 
Trenton ask a question here. He said, explainer vids, how do you get started? Are they useful and necessary as some are suggesting? Uh, Trenton, if you could let me know, like what, do, what would your topic be for those explainer videos? Um, that way Pete and I can kind of give you some customized recommendations there. I personally like explainer videos because there's so much that we take for granted as tech folks, things that we just, you know, know to do that. W I remember when you would go show a client on site how to do something, they're like, holy crap, I never knew it could do that. Give me a, for instance, I remember one of the first instances I had, there was a associate director I was in her office. I forget what I was even doing in her office. And I just happened to look over and noticed what she was doing in Outlook. She had an Excel spreadsheet opened with all of her contacts. And she was copying and pasting people's email addresses from her Excel spreadsheet into Outlook so that she could send messages. Something we would take for granted that people would just know how to do that. So I sat down and showed her how to take those contacts, import them into Outlook, and she never had to maintain that spreadsheet ever again and it was just light bulb moment she's like i never knew it could do that so what things do you regularly see take your help desk is such a treasure trove of explainer videos and just easy content in my opinion uh of of things that you could create content out of um how to do an email signature i mean that seems very simple to us but how do you make, you know, doing an email signature that is uniform across your company? Do a two minute video on that. Doesn't have to be in depth. Like just show me how to do that. What tools are available so that I can get a customized outlook signature for all my, all my employees so that everybody's signature looks the same. I mean, what tools did you use for that? Like, like exchange, uh, signatures management. Exclaiming those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, your guys are all using tools that we take for granted and we just take for granted that people know what the heck they are. Take two minutes and show somebody. Take your help desk. Look at your tickets. Find something that you could create a two-minute video on and put it on your YouTube channel. It, so, you know, t take out your phone, you screen share. There's so many, t the, the tools in the wealth of being able to do this now, like I said, versus even two years ago is so much easier. I mean, like every single thing that I download now has some sort of screen capture ability. Like Descript that I use for transcriptions has a screen capture ability for me to be able to video myself while it's transcribing. So I actually do my whole podcast in Descript and I just talk it out. I drag and drop intro, outro, boom, done. Podcast is done. So there's, even if that's all it is, it's just small snippets of, Things like that. And again, I'm just using one, for instance, Camtasia. New updated Camtasia has a bunch of new features in it. So whatever you're comfortable using, just use it and get started. But I think explainer videos where they see you will go further than maybe a cartoon explainer video. That's just my personal opinion. Like I, I would probably watch, you know, somebody on camera show me something from their phone or their desktop, how to do something with tools that I'm already using. And again, I guarantee you there's things inside of Microsoft Teams. There's things inside of the tools they're already using that people don't know about. 
So my, you I know, think, uh, Tom, Tom you know? Lawrence is obviously, I guess, the king of explainer videos from like a technical perspective. Yeah. And um, it, it's a much longer burner in terms of bringing in business because uh, it, it bringing in large amounts of business. So for him, I know that's brought him in a lot of business with some very, very big uh, clients because where he's making tons of videos about storage, uh, raid arrays and those kind of things, he gets some clients approach him saying, I need this massive raid array. Can you do it for me? Because you seem to be the only one that can do it. Yep. There's probably a lot of other people out there that can do it. But Tom's like the only one out there making videos about it. So of course, when people search for it, he's the one that comes up. So yeah, if, if you can kind of make explainer videos, um, if you can make, um, uh, and that's why he's separated his like business channel. There's a separate one called Business Technicalities yep. because there's a different audience for each. Um, but yeah, ex explainer videos are a, a great way to get started and I agree with Andrew. Look at your help desk. Just it's full of a treasure trove of problems that you can answer via video. And once you've answered it via video once, you can just use the video again and again and again. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Rob said, said people who use their mouse to move between fields on a form. Showing them how to use the tab <laughs> key. I mean, again, think things that we would think is dead simple, but think about that. If yeah. everything is in a form now, how much time could you save your clients right now teaching them that? Yeah. And I guarantee you probably at least 50% of them don't know that. So, I mean, think about what you'd save them just in time in a day. So, again, just super, super easy uh, things to do. So... Alex is digging, digging our sound effects, so we'll give him a cowbell. All right, let's dig back into some of these questions. We've more questions. We've got about five, ten minutes left, so let's yeah. uh, try and blast through some of these. Again. Let's see here. Let's start at the bottom here. So uh, Jeremy had a couple of them. So he said, I'm, I'm new to business development. Uh, I read Carl Palachuk's book, which really helped 25 years of individual contracts to manage. Any top tips? 250 clients on and just 80 on a form of contract, which are all different. Man, that could be a, that could be a whole show right there, but simple. I was just, um, let me just find that. Let me put that back up there. Can I bring that one back up on the screen again? Yeah. Sorry. That, yeah, if that's right. So I was just reading his second one at the same time. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, any tips? His, his follow-up question is actually more of a question. I think it's worth uh, gotcha. also trying to target new clients. I had three legal. Yeah. That's one. I'm also trying to target new clients. I had through legal and accountancy. Uh, sorry, I had thought legal and accountancy would be the best area, particularly with cyber insurance pushing clients towards MSPs. Finding it really hard to get in front of new clients in these sectors. Any tips? Yes, a few tips. Um, one, network where they network. If there's trade shows, certainly here in the UK, there's like the um, the the law show. I don't know what they're called because I don't go to them, but there there are shows where the, like the law society will literally just tell everyone the latest law things that are happening yep. and they'll have uh, exhibition exhibitions if i can say the word <laughs> uh, and you can just sit there with a stand and people can come up and talk to you you're probably going to be the only it company there because that's not the kind of place that it companies hang out normally same with accountancies there's the the zero road show that's normally here in the uk every single year and i'm sure they tour the tour the world so that's that's kind of one thing just look for basically look where they're hanging out what network groups they go to what events do they go to just make sure you're there um, social media, of course, you know, you can connect with all of the people in the local area. Uh, Andrew's got a fantastic LinkedIn, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment uh, about connecting with them on there. Um, in terms of, uh, other reach, just think about, um, lead generation, um, things that they would value. Um, so if you're trying to create something that's, um, you know, going to attract them, what do they find, um, attractive to them? Like what's going to interest them to 
click to download whatever it is free thing that you've you've got for them you, you need to entice them in there with something and then there was one more thing did i remember the one more thing um no i'm gonna hand over to andrew whilst i remember that <laughs> No, I think that is perfect. You know, he's targeting legal. That was my bread and butter was legal and property management. So I'll tell you how to get into legal, what worked for me. Um, Jeremy, let me know what part of the country, what part of the world you're into. Um, Cause I might be able to kind of key you in on something that might be regional. What I looked for is what associations did they belong to? What memberships did those attorneys have? Where are they paying money to hang out? Belfast. He's, he's, he's Irish. Gotcha. So, yeah, as Pete mentioned, there are associations that attorneys belong to. Like there was one that was regional uh, where I based in Columbus, Ohio. So there was an association based in Columbus, Ohio for attorneys. Then there was a state-based organization for attorneys. And then there are also national associations for attorneys. Go after the member group, the members, uh, actually where the membership associations themselves and I'll tell you the reason being is, is I figured that out from the property management. The property management company that we signed on, all of their members became clients because we were servicing and providing something that the association needed, which was content. That's what they need the most. They need content to keep relevant content in front of their members so that those members renew. I mean, all of us are part of Tech Tribe and other memberships because we're getting something of value. We're getting content. So that's what those associations are starving for is content. So if you can give them content around cyber insurance, cybersecurity, those types of things, and easiest way to do that, I'm telling you, easiest way to do that is find out the associations and then start sending connection requests. And I give you a whole scripts if you're part of Tech Tribe on how to do that. Connect with them on LinkedIn, start conversations with them through LinkedIn and then just see what content they are, they are in need of that is IT, cyber, or whatever you're doing. VoIP, what other content can you provide? And if it behooves you, go ahead, go. I've got, I've got two things. So I just, I, I remembered the one and I remember the next one as well, which links into that. So when you're kind of reaching out to people, it's a bit out there, but if you were to start a podcast slash live stream that we're doing, but you could just do a podcast, it's a great way to just get in people's, get your foot in the doors. You're not yep. trying to sell to them. You're just saying, hey, would you like to hop on a podcast? We'll just chat about you, about your business, learn a bit more about you, which is, hey, great for you because you're learning a lot more about them. Um, so that was the first one. And then secondly was to, and I don't always agree with it, but the the dark web monitoring service where you can see if they've got any hacked emails, if they've leaked any passwords to the internet. Um, I've seen a few people where they will just um, you know, search for all the local solicitors and they will uh, dark web search them. So they'll find out if they've got any hacked or leaked emails and passwords and they'll contact them directly and say hey we've we've done a search on you we found these things have leaked onto the internet very very recently we'd love to have a chat with you about your cybersecurity. It's just like another way in through the door yep no i love that i mean because those things like live video and podcasting are so much easier now than what it was you know when i got started in 2004. i mean think about how much market research that you could do interviewing an attorney on your podcast what challenges are you facing as an attorney in the current job market? What does that tell you about the challenges that they face? Now, guess what I can do? I can now change my marketing to something that is a number one or number two problem for attorneys. And if I'm able to solve that, 
with the things that I provide, then it's a win-win for everybody. So you got to kind of think, you know, a, a little bit more long-term as, as Pete mentioned. So Jeremy said, yep, appreciate that. But yes, yeah, so let's go back a couple more questions. I guess I, I see one more that I didn't get to, and this is um, Mark. Mark Hope asks, should MSPs need to be ISO 27001, and what would be the rough costing of this? I have no so, idea. This is that's fine. So from, from my perspective, we, we were looking into ISO 27001. Um, we, we went to look at it because one of our clients required it. So that's that's kind of what put us on the path of of needing that. I think it's a nice to have. It just depends where in the stage of the MSP uh, you are. So I, I, I don't know if you know Andrew. So ISO 27001 is just basically a set of standards to make sure you're documenting things. Everything's got a process, and you know you're checking things like uh, when you deliver something. There's a del delivery note that gets signed, and it's just this whole kind of system system that you should be doing already, I guess. So it's a great thing to remind you that you should be doing everything but it's quite a costly process to go through. Um, I don't know off the top of my head because we started looking into it. We never did it ourselves, but we were going through it. Um, have a chat with Adam uh, Adam on LinkedIn. Adam Vo Voss, Voss. He's, he's a Leeds guy. I, I never know how to say his, his surname. Let me just find his, uh, his LinkedIn profile and I'll ping that across. Maybe we'll ask to do that. Do you want to move on to the, uh, the next question? Yeah, so, uh, Alex said the same thing, kind of in the same vein, the... ISO 9001, which I think is over here in the States. Um, and then Robert said, yep, cyber essentials. Yeah. Robert's recommendation is cyber MSP should be cyber essentials plus over ISO certification. Yeah, I, I, I think I'd agree with that. Um, unless the supplier or the clients you're trying to work with, you know, some government level organizations, um, well, to be honest, most uh, organizations at those level will probably require both of those nowadays, the ISO and the uh, cyber, cyber essentials plus. Yep. Uh, James Kemp, thank you for this. He said, I just recently got a quote for this $5,000 setup and $3,000 award. So that'll kind of give you, you know, what you're looking as far as costing is concerned. And I'm going to go ahead and copy and paste Adams. Uh, Again, hopefully he doesn't mind, but I'm sure he'll, uh, he'll, he's posted a few videos about it that he's, uh, they recently got the certification or the accreditation, whatever you call it. So perfect. yeah, he, he definitely understands the the cost behind it. Yeah, so he's, uh, Scott says the same thing, 100% agree that over I, ISO. So uh, let's see here, make sure if you, let me know if I missed your question. I don't, I tried to uh, favorite the, all of the questions and I think that was the last one, if I'm not mistaken. There's, uh, there's one here that I've got, which is from Job Tech, which is all my business has been coming from referrals, which has kept me very busy and profitable. Would yeah. you recommend staying on this path or going out and being an actual salesperson? steady growth or rapid um i i liked the and this, this is kind of what got me onto the whole video marketing essentially i liked the slow and steady approach of um growth through referrals and you can kind of just get away with doing that if you focus on doing a, a good service and delivering a good job and then trying to encourage referrals come through talk to your clients see if they can recommend you you can do that and you can do it very very well so if it's working for you keep doing it the thing that brought me onto video marketing and other marketing stuff in general was we what if we could do a little bit better <laughs> yep. it was always and that's always in the back of my mind like we could do a little bit better than we are doing so i just thought hey if we can just if we can figure out that marketing thing then we can just I, i'm not i don't i don't want to explode the growth you know i don't want to start taking on staff faster than we can kind of manage them but um we could take on more clients and more staff faster um if we had the leads coming in if we had you know if, if we had the business coming through 
So I th I think realistically, it's probably a, a good of, a bit of an in between. Of course, yeah, the referrals are going to keep coming through as long as you're doing a good job and always focus on doing a good job because you sell yourself basically through that. Yep. But there's no reason why you couldn't just start putting the feelers out there and doing a little bit of lead journey, you know, doing some um, lead magnets like we were talking about a few weeks back with the top 10 reasons to do this, whatever it is, the just things that might attract them. Um, like Andrew was saying earlier, the cybersecurity things might be really attractive to, to legal firms, accountancy firms as well. But um, just, just start dabbling your feet in something and just seeing where it takes you. Um, I'm a big fan of with marketing. I, I call them like marketing pillars. Just focus on one thing for one month, get it implemented, and then kind of keep it ticking over. And then the next month you move on to something else and start doing something else. So it might be maybe you do Google AdWords in month, one month, then you do video in month two, then you do podcast in month three, you know, whatever there might be but you spend a month getting them going and then you just need a little bit of time each month, just kind of tweaking them and, and keeping them going. That That's kind of quite a nice um, non-stressful or at least low stress way of, of, of doing marketing whilst yeah. you're also doing the, the, the you know, referral growth as well. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, it's one that I typically see when people need to get marketing going because the referrals have dried up. Now you're starting from zero. It's going to take you three to six months before you start seeing any results. So you got to remember that is once the referrals dry up then what you want to be ahead of that game not necessarily like you said we don't we're not looking for maybe rapid growth but you got to have some something in the pipeline um so you want to tune in next week by the way for that follow-up pete and i are going to be talking about all to how to prepare for the upcoming recession um and yes it is coming this is not gloom and doom we're just going to give you some tips and tricks on what we would do i've lived through several running businesses. So I've got some battle scars that I can share with you. Um, so definitely tune into that next week. So, uh, one last thing here, where's Mark said, does CE or CE plus still include free cyber insurance coverage was speaking to a client yesterday as I thought it used to be, but not sure since the changes, uh, let's see if any, someone's answered that question for him. I thought, um, actually, uh, yep. That would be, who answered that question? Yeah, the CE. I think that's uh, that's Jess that's replied back. Yeah, so Cyber Essentials does. I think Cyber Essentials Plus doesn't because that's such a big, wider, much larger business. It depends on the risks and everything. But CE covers a, a basic level of, of insurance, uh, gotcha. even on the, the new changes. Yep, Scott said yes, it does. So that's good. Yep, and there's also that link in the chat too. Uh, James posted direct link to that information. So. Oh, yes, IASME, so that's like the UK governing body for the uh, cyber essentials over here. Yeah, what's great about it too is like there's over here in the States, there's CMMC, which is the certification specifically around manufacturing, but there's been MSPs that have gone through that certification. So it kind of puts you in an elite realm that those, those clients who need that, they only have a handful of people that they can even contact. So it does create a different uh, lead generation pool uh, when you've got the certifications, nobody else does. So, yep. And Scott said, yep, we put all of our clients through it, but it's a small amount of coverage up to 10 K. Uh, so that's good. And Mark said, yes, thanks guys. Did we get all the questions? I want to make sure we didn't miss any. So I think that's a lot. I've had a scan through and I can't see any others that we missed. All right. Um, so so what a good time to, uh, call it, I think. Yeah. So guys, I'm going to put this in here too. Um, I'm going to put this in the chat as well. Um, we will be streaming over on our new home on YouTube because we had to wait 24 hours before we could go live on our new YouTube channel. Um, so I'm like 
I think we can go live in an hour and a half. So, Pete, you want to jump on <laughs> in an hour and a half? Um, no, no, just kidding. I'm going to go ahead and put that in the comments. So please like and subscribe our new YouTube channel. Um, but we're going to be posting out all to, to our personal channels as well as our new YouTube channel, hopefully with Scott back next week as well. So. And I think the from the podcast perspective, I believe we are. Um, you can still stay subscribed if you're not ready to the um, Behind the Geeks podcast. You'll just notice in your podcast app or player that it's going to change the name. So we are kind of we're, we're continuing. This is still the same podcast. Um, it's just we've had a slight change of who's in it, and uh, we're changing the name just to separate it from the uh, the tribe side of things a little bit as well. Where um, obviously Nigel's not got the time, being that it's like seven p.m. his time at the moment. <laughs> yeah, he's snacking. He, he's eating dinner time for him. So. All right, guys, thank you so much for all of those who showed up live uh, to our inaugural uh, Not an MSP show. Uh, but yeah, if you've got future questions for us or topics that you would like us to cover on future live streams, please let us know. Reach out to us. Connect with us on LinkedIn. So check down in the description, both on YouTube and LinkedIn. Connect to Pete, Scott, and myself. Uh, we'd be happy to share any battle stories that we have and tips and tricks that we've learned over the years. But all right, guys, that wraps us for today. We will see you uh, hopefully uh, next Wednesday is what we're going to try. Wednesdays, 11 a.m. Eastern time, and it's coming up on 5 p.m. for you. So it'd be 4 o'clock your time, correct? Yes, correct. Awesome. Excellent. Guys, we will see you uh, next week. Have a great week and be safe out there.